Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. I guess our guest today is Dr. Jerry Newcomb. He serves as the senior pastor and as on-air host and columnist for D. James Kennedy's Ministries. Jerry has produced or co-produced more than 71-hour television specials that have aired nationwide. Jerry is the author or co-author of 31 books. That's a lot of books, at least two of which have been bestsellers. George Washington's Sacred Fire. We're going to dig into a little bit of that today. And what if Jesus had never been born with Dr. Kennedy? Jerry has also written Doubting Thomas, The Life and Legacy of Thomas Jefferson. Jerry has appeared on numerous talk shows as a guest, including Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher, Janet Parshall's America, Point of View, the Moody Radio Network, TBN, Fox News Channel, Fox Business Channel, and even on C-SPAN, and much, much more. Uh, You've had a prestigious career. That's why I'm very honored to be able to welcome you to the show today. So thank you for being on. Thank you. And can I just tell just a real quick anecdote, since you're based in Chattanooga, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, One of the coolest programs we ever worked on many, many years ago we brought Dr. D. James Kennedy uh, to Chattanooga, and we actually drove to a place, uh, Dayton, Dayton, Tennessee, yeah. where the Ray County, R-H-E-A, Ray County Courthouse was, and that's where the original Scopes trial was. And what Dr. Kennedy did, in effect, in this program we produced, and I was privileged to be co-producer of it, was uh, we had kind of a Scopes trial in reverse, and it was called the Case for Creation. So Dr. Kennedy, in the very courtroom where the Scopes trial was, he, you know, said, wait a minute now, you know, we're given, you know, the idea that evolution is true and blah, blah, yeah. blah. But, you know, let's look at the facts. And and it was really neat. And now that was many, many years ago. But but I always remember that because we had to fly into Chattanooga and then drive to uh, Dayton. Hey, if that was many, enough years ago, then I can probably steal that idea, reproduce it now in the present and do that because I love that. I think that's, that's really cool. Uh, that, for those who don't- program, by the way, was, uh, was so appreciated by some folks. Uh, Films for Christ, which is a ministry, yeah. uh, I guess it was in, based in Arizona or something. But they, remember when they used to have church films? I don't know if they still do church films, but yeah. Films for Christ actually liked that so much. They they worked out a deal with uh, with the ministry to actually- show that as one of their films. Yeah, because, wow, think about it, that trial, there's there's these hallmark trials in America, Brown versus Board of Education and stuff, and that's one of them. And for those who don't know, they call it the Scopes Monkey Trial, which is kind of a silly name for a a way to remember it. But essentially, it's kind of one of the the things we point back to for why evolution became such a foundational uh, doctrine for teachers in high school and elementary yeah, school. Became and the, and yeah. actually, you know, the Christian side technically won the battle, but lost the war. And really a lot of it was because of the PR about the trial, the public relations, uh, particularly, uh, HL Mencken, who was a very strong skeptic and, you know, a very clever writer, but also a skeptic. Uh, they broadcast the, 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 trial and made it look like the Christian side was foolish and dumb and the evolutionary side was was the wise side and it turns out all the evidence that Clarence Darrell marshaled in favor of evolution macro evolution uh you know turned out to be false he didn't know it at the time they didn't know it at the time but then you know it's 
it's one of those kinds of things, uh, you know, where, for example, he was showing this tooth and he was saying they were implying that this tooth was part of a missing link between, you know, ancient primates and man and so forth. Then it turns out, no, it was the tooth of an ancient pig. Yeah. But when it comes to evolution, even to this day, you know, that court trial was, you know, almost 100 years ago. Even to this day, the missing links are still missing. Yeah. What's it, what's super interesting about that too, is that that shows, I think almost the predicate for our conversation, but, but not to be too, uh, self-aggrandizing, just a predicate for conversations period. Um, maybe the best way to kind of synthesize this is to say, I remember I'm, I'm only four, close to 40 now, but I remember when the left and people on the, the liberal democratic side of the aisle were saying, abortions for the sake of women's rights should be available and rare. Um, that was their argument way back in the day. That was their talking point. And what my, 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 how we have evolved to where now abortions must be on demand. And you must agree with my political standpoint on abortion being a, um, a, a, a feminist issue or a women's right issue. Um, and, and you can even go further with the kind of the the LGBT community and kind of where that, how that whole issue has evolved in, in the, uh, in the, the talking points, uh, that are associated with those things. So I guess, um, as a predicate for our conversation today, it's important that we have conversations. It's important that we don't just gloss over because now we're sitting on the post side of the scopes trial. And the reality is as a young man in school, I did not get taught creation science one iota. The only operating uh, principle for teachers today is if you don't teach evolution, then you don't get a job in the public school system. Um, and, and maybe even Christians would disagree with this, but I would say teach both. You know, figure out where there's evidence for this and there's, uh, where there's evidence for creation, where there's evidence for kind of macro evolution. And, 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 and all those things and, and where was Darwin correct and where was he wrong and all that stuff. But the reality is, is, is you're only taught one point of view. And so right. we could discuss all of the, the nuances there, but the reality is, is that that is a microcosm of the way society and culture evolves if we're not active in the public marketplace of ideas. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you. And, and, and <laughs> you're only hearing the one side of it and, you know, and quite honestly, as you know, we, obviously we don't want to harp on evolution or anything, but but uh, zero times any number, no matter how big that number is, is always zero. Yeah. And the chances, honestly, the chances of evolution happening, uh, macro evolution. You know, right. what they do is they they'll they'll look at they'll look at organisms and they'll say, oh look, there's tiny little changes within the organism. Okay, fine. Right. They, you know, everybody knew that before Darwin. Yeah. But what Darwin's theory expostulates is the idea that, oh, well, these tiny little changes within organisms also, you know, there were these gigantic leaps where one organism evolved into another organism. And there's no evidence for that in the fossil sure. record. There's still no evidence. As I said, the missing links are still missing. And even the chances of life happening without without a creator or without, you know, some sort of creation, in other words, just happening by chance is, is no, it's zero. I mean, right. it's it, like we even said in that show, if you had a, a hurricane go through a junkyard and then assembled <laughs> a fully assembled 
operating 747 airplane that you could fly safely. Yeah. Uh, evolution <clears throat> happening is even greater than the odds of that creation of a 747, uh, you know, through the tornado. And so anyway, bottom line is, uh, you're right. The, these battles are important and it's important for Christians not to, to retreat. In fact, it's funny, you should mention, uh, you know, the, how the fallout from the scopes trial is sort of like the widespread acceptance of evolution David Barton of Wall Builders once said to me, we were in a discussion, you know, why have Christians abandoned the public square? Yeah. Uh, obviously, in the last couple decades, there have been a lot of active Christians, thank God, uh, Jerry Falwell and D. James Kennedy and so forth. But he said that he thinks the Scopes trial was, was one of those turning points in American life where basically a lot of the church just sort of said, okay, forget it, we're not going to get involved in, you know, in this, we're just going to speak within our own, you know, yeah. Christian community or whatever to each other. Retreat to so our corner. That's part of the reason we're in this mess we're in today. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, I think that kind of does tell well, dovetails well into what we wanted to talk about today, which is kind of the, uh, because we're, we're facing a battle in America today. Um, I would call it a culture war. And uh, at the forefront are ideas like critical race theory. Um, and it's kind of birthed in me this kind of belief that uh, there are two people who can save us from ourselves today. And, and I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here, not literal, but uh, because, of course, you might add pastors in there uh, and Christians. But, uh, but the first kind of person is a comedian, because a comedian with some impunity can make fun of what we have become and what we are doing. And we're starting actually to see Comedians who wouldn't, we would never usually find kinship with in the Christian world come out and, and, and poke fun at some of the ridiculousness of our present, of our present age. Um, and then uh, the, the other Can kind of... Who, who comes to mind when you say... Oh, <laughs> I almost hate to say because these guys are incredibly foul-mouthed, but uh, whenever you see them in, in little segments where it's not pro prolific profanity, uh, people like Bill, uh, Bill Burr... Uh, Bill Burr. So I don't know if you've ever. Yeah, it's B-I-L-L-B-U-R-R. Bill Burr. So he's a he's a relatively pretty famous comic. Um, and then another guy, uh, Joe Rogan, who is the number one uh, podcaster on the planet. Uh, I've also, heard of him. I, he's got yeah. a lot of tattoos. I think. Right. He does. He does. Now, and now, granted, you have to understand these. None of these guys are. Or, or they're not Christians. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was going to say something else too. These guys aren't Christians. However, they're willing to recognize the culture shift and how South it's going and how ridiculous it's becoming. Even probably what is presently the most famous uh, comedian uh, in the present generation, a guy named Dave Chappelle, uh, a black comedian. Yeah. Uh, e even he has taken some shots at kind of the liberal woke culture. Um, and, and how ridiculous it's getting. So, um, I only say that to say, um, that, uh, that comedians can almost have this and they always have like historically this ability to critique society. Um, perhaps if there's somebody in the Christian world that does this, I think really well is a guy named Brad Stein. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard Brad Stein, yeah, but Brad's great. Yeah, we had Brad Stein do a, like a fundraiser for a radio station ministry that I'm a part of. Okay. 
racenetradio.com. Yeah, and they, he was great. He was he was from Tennessee, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's in Nashville. Yeah, so Brad Stein's been on my show before. Uh by the way, we also had Ken Ham on not too too long ago. Oh, so Ken okay. was great and he talked a lot about kind of the the science and evolution stuff. But uh He was a big it, part of that uh Scopes trial uh video we made, the case yeah. creation. It's right up his alley. Um, but yeah, he was great. Um, so that, that episode was really cool. Um, anyway, so comedians and then the second kind of person, uh, which I think you fall into this category, uh, is historians. So comedians can poke fun at the present, but history, historians can help us not repeat the, the, the issues of our past. Um, however, what's really interesting is that critical race theory as it's kind of burgeoning and blossoming, and I don't want to give the false impression, it's been around for decades in the academy for sure, but as it's starting to creep its way into pop culture, into our modern day conversation about race with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and all of that stuff, and however critical race theory plays a part in that, um, it's also kind of coinciding with what I think is irrefutably um, a, a construction of critical race theory, things like the 1619 Project. And so now, um, and for those viewers who don't know what the 1619 Project is, it's essentially, and this is not read, this is uh, historians um, from prestigious universities, um, it's a pseudo-historical view of how America was created. And rather than 1776 with the signing of our Declaration of Independence, it's actually America was created on the back of slaves in 1619. And that's where the 1619 Project comes in. So all that to say is that I think historians can help us um, really understand the true history of of America. So with that being said, um, I, I've got so many other things that I wanted to bring up, but, but I want to dive into this right now, just because I feel like it's so important. What would you say is the most commonly misunderstood or unknown aspect of the founding of America in reality? Because we are hearing this endless kind of carousel of ideas of what America is. And the critical race theorists themselves will tell you uh, when they're trying to hide the ball, I think, um, and, I, and I'm not being uncharitable there, they will say critical race theory is not just, uh, maybe you need to call it a different name. And I heard this just the other day. It's not critical, and it was on CNN, by the way. It's not critical race theory. It's just our history. Right. So they're viewing history through the lens of critical race theory to create a new reality of sorts. Now, I'll save this for later, but but I think Christians need to be active in not only defending, but offensively fighting against critical race theory. But part of the reason is because of our history. And why do you think we should protect that? And what are some commonly misunderstood aspects of our history that the world needs to know? Well, first of all, uh, in America, the creation of America, there was a lot to do with godly motivations. I'm not saying everybody that came and founded the country were sure. necessarily born again Christians or whatever, but there were a lot of the colonies and colonists who came over because they were motivated by their faith, because they were basically trying to get away from persecution, being forced to conform to uh the, like the Church of England, for example. Uh, let's let's just take New England. New England, those states up there, initially, all the different colonies that were created. In fact, at the first one was the, the little Plymouth, Plymouth, yeah. Massachusetts. Hundred people, only hundred people, and half of them number died 
of star, you know, uh, from the cold and diseases and some even from starvation that first winter. And yet that was the beginning. The, the, the pilgrims, though, in a very strong way, set a very long, they cast a very long and positive shadow, even though they were very small in number. And they said, the reason we're coming over is for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. And they were blown off course. Their goal was to go to the northern parts of Virginia, which in those days was much larger than it is today. But because they were blown off course and because some of the hired hands that they had brought with them who were sympathetic with their goals to, you know, establish this colony for Christ's glory, they were sympathetic with that on the one hand. And on the other hand, they weren't directly part of their particular church covenant. Yeah. So anyway, so some of these hired hands, whom they were called strangers. So the Mayflower had saints and strangers. So, you know, that's the way some people label it. So some of these guys were thinking, well, you know, we're not under the king's jurisdiction anymore because we're not in the northern parts of Virginia, which is what the, the charter said. So they were going to go off on their own. And so in order to in, uh, avoid any kind of you know, disunity like that within the colony itself, the Pilgrim Fathers were very smart. They took the biblical type covenant that they had made when they became a church in the first place back in England in secret, back when it was illegal to do so around 1606, yeah. when they created their covenant and they, they politicized it. We call it the Mayflower Compact. And it was the beginning of the first uh, of, you know, all these different political charters and so forth that ultimately lead to the U.S. Constitution. As Dr. Oz Guinness, who got his Ph.D. or D.Phil, his doctorate of philosophy at Oxford University, he likes to put it this way. He says the biblical concept of covenant gave rise to the U.S. Constitution. Mm, I love That's that, yeah. very well put. The Mayflower Compact, November 11th. Uh, 1620 says, in the name of God, amen. We whose names are undersigned, having undertaken a voyage for the glory of God and the advancement of the faith, dot, 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 do covenant and combine ourselves into a civil body politic. Now, now, now I want to stop you. I want to stop you right there because, uh, because I think that, and, and I want you to continue that story though, um, here in a moment, but because I know that the, the, uh, I, I don't know the right word for it, but the, the inundation of the ideas and the stories that were being told now, and a nation is formed on the stories that they tell themselves. Um, we're being told stories now that, um, yeah, okay, well, they might have been good godly men, but they were slave drivers and slave owners. You know, you think Thomas Jefferson, one of the founders of well, our country. Okay, well, that, you're talking now about the founding era. I'm beginning in the settling era and, you know, with the pilgrims and the Puritans, there were no slaves there okay. that, that that came that came uh, in Virginia, which was a different type of colony. I mean, they. Yes. Yeah, so can can you differentiate the can you differentiate? and so forth? And, uh, you know, believe it or not, the first slaves came over even a year before the pilgrims did. Yeah. But but what happened was, I mean, you had this this two different types of strands, but these. These godly settlers, as in the example of the pilgrims and the Puritans, and even a lot of the Church of England people and so forth, they didn't, uh, you know, slavery wasn't a part of all of the different 
colonies. Now, I want to say something about slavery, and that is that um, that you know, obviously, it's a terrible evil. Yes. And it's certainly true that some people use the Bible to justify slavery, but it's also, and this is the critical point, that it was the Bible and the influence of the Bible that largely uh, got rid of 100%. slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Eidsmo, who wrote a book called Christianity and the Constitution, and I've interviewed him multiple times, he once said that, uh, he said, they almost had the Civil War in the Constitutional Convention, in the, now, now we're jumping ahead to 1787, when the founders created the Constitution, because there were such conflicts. And, you know, here's the interesting thing. They came up with a compromise, the three-fifths compromise. The idea of that is, is this. The, the southern states wanted their cake and eat it too, if that makes sense. They wanted to, on the one hand, have the slaves, but on the other hand, have those slaves count with full representation as to how much, you know, what the number would be of representatives they would get in Congress, in the U.S. Congress. And the northern states thought that, that oh God, that's not, un, that's not fair. I mean, here you have those people, they have no rights, and yet you want to count them as, you know, fully so you get more representatives. And they came up with this idea, well, what if all other persons, you know, non-citizens are three-fifths counted in three-fifths for representation. And uh, so the, you know, the uh, South Carolina and, and Georgia or whatever, they went with that, they agreed with that, and they became, you know, they ratified the Constitution and we became one country. Now, I was talking with, with a friend of mine recently, a boss of mine, and he made the point, you know, if, if that three-fifths compromise hadn't been accepted, all right, there wouldn't have been yeah. a country. Uh, in other words, we wouldn't have become the United States of America. And he said, I'll bet you that there would still be slavery in those places today because they would not have been part of the United States of America, where eventually we did uproot slavery. And the founders, I mean, we're talking about right now the constitutional era. So we've jumped from 1620 to 1787, and that's fine. But uh, the founders even created within the Constitution itself the framework whereby they the Constitution could be amended. And thank God for that, because they were able to uh, amend for things like slavery and mistreatment of the Indians or, you know, anything bad that's been done. You know, obviously women were not initially uh, allowed to vote, and they changed that uh, in the early 1900s through constitutional amendments. So bottom line is the founders themselves recognized you know, they weren't perfect, but they were allowing for a framework by which these things could be changed. Now, yeah. I want to say, if I may, this is yeah. really important. It's important to understand the origins of critical race theory, because initially when Marxism came out, uh, it was all economics. I mean, Karl Marx, you know, talks about the abolition of private property. It's class he talks warfare. about the abolition of family. You know, all of this is in the Communist Manifesto that he wrote with uh, Frederick Engels. Yeah. But uh, in 1848. But but here's the bottom line. In America, we had this big middle class. And so there wasn't this widespread acceptance of Marxism within uh, America. So what they ended up doing was creating something called the neo-Marxists, later Marxists, created something called critical theory. Right. And the idea of critical theory is find those areas in the culture where there's friction and then go ahead and you know rub those those areas raw 
and you know whatever it is so we can pit one group against another group and we'll have the oppressors and the oppressed yeah. and a, a later variation of critical theory was critical race theory and the idea there is oh let's take america's genuine racist past yeah slavery horrible I mean, who can justify it? Nobody can justify it. Uh, Jim Crow, uh, you know, in the in the deep south, who can justify that? Nobody can justify that today. Uh, but they did in the past. But anyway, so what the critical race theory does is it takes a Marxist worldview and and takes America where we've been vulnerable because of the sins in the past. But I want to say something about those sins in the past. We had a U.S. Civil War, which ultimately uprooted slavery and made it illegal. Well, you know how many people died in that civil war? I mean, you know, it's at least 600,000. I've heard some say as much as 700,000 and then maybe even a million because of people getting, uh, you know, from dying from illness. It was God's judgment, I believe, on America because of slavery. In fact, Abraham Lincoln said as such in the second inaugural address, which is one of the greatest speeches in American history, chiseled in stone. By the way, it's got three Bible verses in it. Yeah. And uh, that's right. You can see that at the Lincoln Memorial and you can see these these verses from the Bible. Now, it doesn't say Matthew so and so, but it, it's it's got the actual quote and he's quoting from the Bible and his hearers knew he was quoting from the Bible. But here's the point. The, the point is that uh, we have done so much to make amends for our racist past. What the people on the left are doing is what they're trying to do is essentially tear down America as founded and then create some sort of socialist utopia out of the ashes. Yeah. But it is not going to work. There is no utopia. In fact, the word utopia comes from the Greek. Topia means place. You add that to a word, it means no place. It doesn't exist. And yeah. utopia doesn't exist. And Marxist utopias don't exist. In fact, all Marxist ut utopias, so-called, have brought about death and misery. And in fact, Harvard University Press, 1999, published this book. It was very bold for them to do that, The Black Book of Communism. And all it does is it highlights uh, all the crimes of the communists in the 20th century yeah. alone. Yeah. At least 100 million people killed by the communists, by that bad idea. And here we have Marxists in America saying that America needs to be torn down because of racism in the past, which we've done, we've made great strides to overcome. By the way, these critical race theory people, when you press them, they're against Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, and I yeah. think Martin Luther King Jr. had a biblical worldview. He was saying America's problem isn't with its creed that all men are created equal. America's problem is we haven't lived up to that creed. Yeah. I agree. Uh, uh, Dr. King said... You know, we need to judge people not by the uh, color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Yeah. Critical race theory says all white people are bad. They're bad. They're racist by definition. And, uh, you know, black people can't be racist. And there's a lot of racism today by black people. And there's a lot of white people who are not who are trying not to be racist. I'm trying not to be racist and so forth. So. Anyway, it's a horrible, horrible idea. And I just have a, a challenge for anybody on the left. Name one square inch on this planet where Marxism has held sway yeah. and life improved for anybody there. Yeah. That's, what I, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I mean. Where the Christian gospel is gone, 
good and positive things have come, like representative government in America. Yeah. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's night and day when we compare these things. Yeah, that's what I mean by historians. Historians will help us realize that uh, mere rebellion against the present needs to be done with it. It's only situated within the context of history. So a, a quick example in our own time. Yeah. Korea. Korea, the Korean Peninsula is divided into two, of course. North Korea, which is communist, which is atheist. And is uh, anti-capitalism, of course. Yeah. And then you have South Korea, which is Christian by and large. It's uh, free and it's pro-capitalism. If you look at North Korea satellite images in the night, you see that in North Korea, there's maybe one part. There is one part where the light is, and that's where the capital is. There's some light there. Imagine that. You look at South Korea, and it's like it's lit up like a, a Christmas tree. I mean, there's lights all over the place. This is the difference between freedom and uh, tyranny. This is the yeah. difference between Christianity and atheism. This is the difference between capitalism and communism. And it's just it's so clear. But these I are the that. same people, same language, same culture. Same historic background is just communism or freedom. Yeah. And uh, why anybody in America would want to go towards communism. And, and, you know, some people, I think they think, oh, social justice, that's biblical. No, the Bible is absolutely four square entirely for justice. In fact, a lot of what we know about justice comes from the Bible. 100%. But social justice, a lot of times is really just a code word for Marxism. And Marxism is anti-God, it's anti-freedom, it's anti-human. I mean, it's just horrible. Everywhere it's really put into practice, you just end up with death and misery. Okay, so I want to talk to you about this um, because this is going to, hopefully we'll work our way back to a question about the foundings of America. But I do feel like it's a great, important question to um, to ask this. Um <clears throat> And, and to highlight kind of the, going back to that historical idea, communism throughout history has used crisis as a political tool. You know, you go back to Lenin, who would, uh, who during World War One said, turn on your generals, you know, because these poor people for the first time have firearms and they're able to stage a revolt. Turn on your generals, kill them. They're your oppressors, not these people. They're making you fight in this war that has nothing to do with you. Um, and then you go on further and look at uh, his, his disciple, um, and you, and you see that uh, as Russia starts to progress, and now we've got Stalin on the throne, you hear Stalin say, hey, you, kulaks, uh, kill the kulaks. They're, your, they're landowners. They're wealthy. They're the ones that are oppressing you. Turn on them. Kill them. And then, of course, you have these landowners who are now being killed in the hundreds of thousands um, by peasant farm workers. And now there's nobody to run the farms. And then what happens is the Holodomor. And now there's um, over a million people who die of starvation because of Stalin. Um, and all he's trying to do is work uh, these guys um, and communists in the past, because you can do Paul Pot, you can do uh, Mao Zedong, and you can go down the line of these communist dictators um, who implemented the socialist practices of Karl Marx. Um, and you can go down the line and you can see a communist playbook where they're using um, these 
these uh, friction points, these tension points to create revolution, because that is what Marx is all about. And so the one thing I hear in the back of my mind is the proponent of critical race theory. And unfortunately to say, and I'm sure you know this too, um, unfortunately to say there are people who I would consider Christian brothers and Christian sisters who are listening to the lie of critical race theory and getting behind critical race theory. Um, and what they're listening to is the veneer of justice um, based upon these tension points, but not digging deep enough to understand that what these people are actually after is social revolution. And this is where critical race theory doesn't even hide the ball. Um, I want to read you a quote really quick because I think that this will situate it uh, really well outside of just Reed's ideas and kind of give us uh, maybe a, a better understanding that uh, critical race theory is after social revolution. So this is Robin D'Angelo, who is the author of White Fragility, um, also writing with another guy named Sensoy. And they said this, we do so to differentiate our standpoint on social justice from mainstream social justice. So what they're saying there is that we're not after social justice like you think. We're after a different kind of social justice. A critical approach to social justice, in other words, critical race theory, refers to specific theoretical perspectives that recognize that society is stratified, that is divided and unequal in significant and far-reaching ways along social group lines that include race, class, gender, sexuality, and ability. Now, here's the key. Critical social justice recognizes inequality as deeply embedded in society that is struct structural and actively seeks to change this. So in other words, their critical approach to social justice is embedded in society. It is structural, and they actively seek to change this. Now, the only good conclusion, if that is true, that you can come up with is if structural racism is so embedded and ingrained in society that as their authors say, and on the critical race theory side, that it is so ingrained in society that you are not even aware of your white supremacy and your, your white nationalist tendencies, that uh, if that is true, there is only one option, social revolution. You must destroy the system from the roots up. Um, and this is the difference. You brought up Martin Luther King Jr. For me, this is the difference between Martin Luther King Jr. and what we're hearing now. And this is why they have to castigate Martin Luther King Jr. as a villain, because they cannot allow him to be somebody who was actually using biblical precepts for a biblical just goal at the end of the day. Maybe not in everything, but ultimately he was a pastor and he would tell you, my idea for social justice is coming from a scriptural understanding of social justice. But the huge difference between what we're hearing with him and then people today like Derek Bell, who wants to even go as far as to say the Brown versus Board of Education decision was a detriment to black people um, instead of something that was helpful to desegregate schools, which is just like, OK, um, so. It, it, well, he said he said that because he felt like it was a step backwards for black people rather than uh, because their idea is not really equality. Right. Their idea is burning the whole system to the ground. So, that, so I guess that's what I'm saying is, is that they seem to be after social revolution uh, more so than anything else. So I just wanted to kind of buttress what you just said with, with social revolution so people understand. If we're coming against critical race theory, it's not because it's an ideology, I, 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 just simply an ideology. It's not because it's just simply an analytical tool. It's not just because it's the, uh, uh, what do they say, the uh, 
the thing that we're hunting for those who are on the right, uh, the boogeyman. It's not the boogeyman of the right. This is actually an agenda that's attempting, because of its Marxist roots, ad- attempting social coup. Um, so would, would you say that that's fair? Yes. Yes, and it, I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very dangerous. And, uh, you know, first of all, let me say this. Uh, obviously, any kind of... Uh, Genuine racism is wrong. Uh, God is the one who has made all of us. As human beings, we are made in the image of God. When Jesus Christ died, he shed his own blood for human beings of all races and all colors. In the Bible, in Revelation chapter 7, we get a, a glimpse of what it was like in heaven. And John was describing, and he said, I saw people from all nations and all tribes and all tongues and uh, that, that were up there worshiping the Lamb of God, meaning Jesus. And, uh, you know, presumably that would be people of all races or whatever. And, and in fact, going back to Dr. King, his niece, Alveda King, whom I've interviewed a few times, uh, she's very strong in the pro-life issue and so forth. And she said that... Uh, that there's really only one race. It's the human race. Yeah. And, you know, and then there's just different shades of color, you know, from, from, you know, different people. So anyway, I, I think that there's this, this obsession with racism is just so unhealthy. I mean, kids are being taught in America. Where do you think it comes uh, from? To hate uh, people of the opposite race. Did you know that there's a Christian? No, this is, it's a so-called Christian book, yeah. a devotional. I wrote about it in my column about two or three months ago by a lady from a, a, a formerly Christian college. And she says in this book, she says, oh, this is a prayer or a devotional of a weary black woman. You know, dear God, please help me to hate white people. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> no, it's horrible. Yeah. And, it's, and it's like, to me, this is just an example of this where this kind of horrible thinking leads us. It's just, it's so satanic. You know, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a fellow named Dr. Paul Kanger. I, I love the guy. He's, uh, I've interviewed him multiple times. Yeah, He's expert on Marxism. Yeah, okay. He wrote a book called The Devil and Karl Marx. So yep. That's one of his newest, I think that is his latest book. And he says in that book that the favorite quote of Karl Marx uh comes from a line from uh, ah, Goethe's Faust, yeah. and it's from the devil character, Me- yeah. Mephistopheles. And the quote is this, everything that exists deserves to perish. Yeah. In other words, tear it all down, destroy it. You know, God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. You know, God wants to wants us so that we won't perish. Have people done wrong things in racism, in racist ways? Absolutely. Was that in some ways uh, encoded and enforced in our laws? Absolutely. And do you think things have not changed uh, since the 1960s? They want are you, you to believe that. Are you crazy? Not. I mean, look, look at the way uh, laws have changed and so forth for the better in terms of of, uh, of fighting against racism, but with the critical race theory, you can never win. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I I've gotten to the point where I, I realized, you know what, these people are never going to be happy. And when I say these people, I mean, these radicals, like the lady who, I don't even know who she is, but she's some black singer 
that uh, says, oh, we got to get rid of the flag. The flag is divisive. Uh, Macy Gray is her name. I, don't, I have no idea who that is. I, I don't follow professional sports very much, and I don't follow you know uh, some aspects of yeah. popular culture and so forth. But but bottom line is that the, those hardcore leftists who want to basically tear America down, they'll never be happy. Um, you know, even even if they got their wish and America was torn down, and then we had some sort of Marxist utopia that yeah, was right. created in its place. I guarantee everybody life would be far worse than it is today. Yeah. But if we look at our true history, uh, I have, I don't know if you can see it, but there's this, this set of encyclopedias I have behind yeah. me. They're all blue. This is a product from the Encyclopedia Britannica and it's called the Annals of America. And it came out in 1976 it's multi-volumes. It's about 20 different volumes. My good friend, Bill Federer, first told me about him. What, what this is, is it has all the key documents uh, of America throughout the different eras. And so the first three volumes, volumes one, two, and three, were extremely helpful for me in my writings, like as I've worked on books on America's Christian heritage, such as the book that made America, which is all about how the Bible helped shape and create America answers from the founding fathers or the, the books I've written with, uh, uh, you know, uh, Peter Loback. Uh, we wrote a book called George Washington, sacred fire. I believe you mentioned it and yeah. it became a bestseller and so forth. And anyway, bottom line is in this annals of America, what you have is the key documents that were important in American history. So of course you've got the constitution and the declaration of independence before it and jumping ahead to the civil war era, you've got the Gettysburg address and the second inaugural address of Lincoln and so forth. So all these major things. And here's the key in the early decades in America, the, the Christian faith played a very important role. Uh, I quoted already the Mayflower compact, but that that's from 1620 after that come all kinds of other important documents, such as in 1630, the founder of Boston, the, the leader of the, the Puritans, John Winthrop, the Reverend John Winthrop, he gave this sermon. It was a sermon, really, on, on board the ship, speaking to about 700 or so Puritans as they were getting ready to, to go into Boston. And it's called a model of Christian charity. And one of the statements he makes in this is that if we shall be as a city upon a hill, the eyes of all the world shall be upon us. What we're doing here, in other words, I'm paraphrasing now, what we're doing here is extremely important. People all around the world are going to see whether this succeeds or fails. We're going to base this colony on Christian principles. Yeah, and, uh, you know, as I say, that the title mm -hmm. of, even of the speech is a model of Christian charity. Of course, Ronald Reagan loved that, that line from Reverend Winter which comes, of course, from Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, the city right. on a hill. But uh, Reagan loved that, but it was a metaphor for what America could be. Now, obviously, yeah. you look at examples like slavery or Jim Crow. Those are aberrations yeah. to America. Bob Woodson. That's not is, a uh, Do you know who that is, Bob Woodson? I've heard of him. Yeah, Bob Woodson created the Woodson Center. He's a civil rights activist, uh, uh, strong conservative, uh, black American, he's, you know, 
getting up there in age and so forth. But I've interviewed him a couple times, and he said that what what groups like the 1619 Project are trying to do is define our country by its birth defects, yeah. birth defects of slavery yeah. or its later impact of you know on, of Jim Crow, instead of defining us not on what we are now or trying to be, but on what the worst of what we used to be. Yeah. If Jim Crow laws were still on effect, in effect, then these critical race theory people would have would have an argument. They would have a leg to stand on, but they have no leg to stand on because these things have been uprooted and they're highly illegal. If somebody tried to do something, uh, you know, the the opposite way, then it would be very um, illegal to do so. I mean, let's take that example I said about ten minutes ago that in this formerly Christian school, Mercer, out of Georgia, where this black professor that's there, she earned a degree in divinity at, at Duke, okay? And, and she wrote this devotional where she says, dear God, please help me to hate white people. Could you, and she means it. I mean, it sounds like she's real sincere. Again, I wrote a whole column about this and how wrong she is. But could you imagine if a white person no. were to do something like that, you know, dear God, help me to hate all the black people out there. I mean, and, and this guy had a job at some, do you think that guy would last a week yeah. at the university? Do you think he, he should last for a week? No, I don't think so. So, I mean, not that I'm into cancer culture and all that kind of stuff, but, but the bottom line is if you just put in, you know, just substitute the names, all of a sudden you realize, wow, this is racist. If, if a, black person hates white people, that's racist. If a white person hates black people, that's racist. So, you know, and we've made such progress. Have you noticed though, how in the last five years or so, or maybe 10 years, uh, that we've, we've regressed in this area and the liberals, they, they just want to use it as a point of friction. Like you were saying earlier about, uh, you know, the socialists, the followers of Karl Marx, they always want to find those areas uh, vulnerability, those, you know, areas where we might disagree and then sow division and how devil like that is. Yeah. Jesus said of the devil, he came to seek, to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. Yeah. One other thing, uh, since you mentioned that sometimes this critical race theory is making inroads into the body of Christ, there's a, a, a Christian gentleman named Vadi Bachman. Yeah. Love, and, yeah. and he wrote a book called Fault Lines. And he's talking, he warns about that potential, you know, and that even some professing Christians today in modern America are falling for this, this, uh, you know, demonic plague or, you know, demonic uh, uh, deception. And he warns against that. And we, we do need to be warned against it because it's, it's just very wrong. Paul says in Acts 17, 26, from one man, God made all peoples of the earth. So ultimately, we're all, as I said earlier, we're all made in the image of God, white, black. It doesn't matter. Paul also says in Galatians 4 that in Christ, there's neither male nor female, uh, Jew or Greek, slave or free, Scythian or barbarian or whatever. You could you could just as well say white or black. Right. Yeah. All right. So. I'm going to ask you one final question, and I think <clears throat> this is a little bit of conjecture, but I have a theory too. I'll share it with you afterwards, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, because I think you, by the way, did a great job of just whether people, 
want to take this as the final word or not, but I, did, I think you did a great job of situating the fact that our America, our nation, is not founded on racism and slavery. Our nation was originally founded upon a Christian covenant and Christian principles. And I would encourage people to look up Jamestown versus Plymouth and look at the two different kind of ideologies associated with those two places. We don't have time to get into it today, and I have a million other questions I'd love to chat with you about, but I'm just curious. In our present setting, where do you think this kind of modern-day conversation, the kind of spillover of critical race theory from the academy into the public square, where is it really coming from? Because some people might naively believe that it has to do with, um, with George Floyd and what took place there. Um, but what is it about our present setting, about 2020, that is causing people to, especially Christians, to pick up critical race theory and to start to entertain it as a useful analytical tool, as divisive as it is, at face value. It's almost boggling to the mind to me, and I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I'm wondering if you have any theories as to why this kind of racial reckoning, they want to call it, is happening right now in America when we have made amazing amount of progress. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with Marxist uh, professors in, in the in the different schools. I mean, unfortunately, you know, the schools in America have been so influenced in the last couple decades by elitists who, who frankly, believe in, in Marxism. I mean, when you look at the polls of, let's say, how much professors vote for the Democrat candidate oh, versus the Republican candidate. I mean, it's just shocking. I mean, yeah. it's just, just, I mean, it's almost as bad as the media, <laughs> members of the media, the Washington press score. Yeah, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this statistic. There's like 5% of professors in academy are like conservative. There's like that 5%. many? 5%? Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that it's that high. And, and a lot of these schools originally were Christian and, you know, I mean, Harvard, Harvard's original motto in Latin was truth for Christ and the church. It was founded by the Puritans, said John Winthrop, you know, that I mentioned earlier. But people like that, men like that, that that founded it for the glory of God and basically to train ministers, knowing that the present ministers would one day die. And so they didn't they dreaded leaving an illiterate ministry uh, once they were in the dust. And yet today. You have, you know, if you were a born-again Christian, it would be very difficult to even get tenure or even maybe even get a job in the first place, much less get tenure. I know in a case of, uh, um, you know, some professors, they uh, have been Christian and essentially they've been drummed out. Even if they had tenure, they've been essentially drummed out from uh, their their position. So, so really it starts in the schools and it has started in the yeah. schools in the last. So I think it is in many ways we're reaping though today, why this reckoning today, we're reaping the bad teaching that really got strong, yeah. sort of strongholds initially in the sixties and seventies. And uh, again, so much of this has to do with Karl Marx. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's a guy that used to be the president of the young socialists. And then he became uh, conservative and, and doesn't agree with, with communism and socialism. And he wrote a wonderful book. His name is Joshua Murovchik. And the book is called Heaven on Earth. And it's just basically a history of socialism and communism. It's a, it's a terrific book. Everybody should get that, Heaven on Earth. But anyway, uh, Joshua Murovchik 
said in an interview for us for Coral Ridge Ministries, D. James Kennedy Ministries, he said, and he said this about 10 years ago, he said, Marxism has been dying out, you know, in many of the different countries around the world, but it's not dying out in the academy. And of course, now he said that in 2010, since then, we've seen, unfortunately, the rise of, of uh, communist ideas in Venezuela, proving once again that communism doesn't work. Uh, it, it took the richest country of Latin America and has now created it, it, made it into a basket case. Those poor people, they can barely feed themselves, feed their families, their neighbors, neighboring countries, uh, you know, literally have armed guards or whatever to prevent people from Venezuela fleeing the communist uh, country of, of Venezuela. You know, you, you know what they call communist countries? The workers paradise. And it's such a, <laughs> yeah. what a crock. You know, I mean, I know a guy. It's a totalitarian dictator's paradise. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and in fact, that's true. It's those those dictatorships do really, really well for the ones in, in, in power. Yeah. But for the, you know, the regular person, it doesn't do well at all. Yeah. Uh, the lady in, in, you know, one of the key founders of Black Lives Matters. And I guess she's been. She herself is no longer part of it, uh, but Patrice Colors, yeah. uh, Dr. Paul Kanger, whom I mentioned earlier, he wrote a column about it. We just talked about it recently on, on a radio segment I did, and uh, she's the one that bought out all those real estate you know, homes. So here she is, a Marxist, and saying what we need is revolution, da da da, you know. And then she gets all these donations from the corporations, yeah, she hates capitalism, she turns around sure. and buys all these houses. You know, <laughs> it's the American way. You know, have Bernie you heard Sanders, that, Bernie that Sanders has become a millionaire for, through uh, his, you know, anti-social or anti Have you heard this? BLM stands for propaganda. buy larger mansions. Pardon me. Have you heard this? BLM stands for buy larger mansions. There's was a oh, meme. <laughs> no, no, that's God. Uh oh, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, you know, I like my good friend, Dr. Michael Brown, where he says, of course, black lives matters, but the organization itself, you know, leaves something to be desired. 100 um, percent. So I think that's great. I think it's an academy thing. Um, just a little bit of background on me. I went to a Christian grad school and it was there where I first kind of became aware of this stuff. And this is back in 2010. Um, and they were teaching courses and, and I laugh at it now, but then I was just scratching my head and I was like, because I had never seen this stuff before, but they were teaching courses on theology and Karl Marx and how those two things are integrated with each other. Now I'm, I'm not going to name the school just cause I don't care, but, um, uh, but needless to say, uh, I was in a traditional Christian, um, school learning about Karl Marx and how he is uh, beneficial and useful for Christians in our work in theology. So needless to say, I definitely think the Academy has a lot of blame to bear. I believe we are seeing the grandchildren, I'd say at this point, of postmodernism kind of proliferate. And now it's starting to have an impact in society. And we're starting to understand the the just lunacy of postmodernism. But I also think this, at the same time, there's another stream running concurrently with it. And that stream is, a, is that the West is moving further and further away from Christianity. Absolutely. We are officially a post-Christian nation now. And as that happens, not only are we undermining the foundation that we stand on in terms of the founding of our country, the real founding of our country, but we're also unearthing the foundation of ethical principles and virtues that are that we were founded on. And 
what's happening as that foundation is removed underneath our feet is we realize that we're living on sinking sand. And I believe people of my generation and a little bit younger are grasping for meaning and purpose and life and understanding of the world around them in the wake of a post-Christian nation. And they're finding that they're grasping at things that really cannot sustain them. And so this is where critical race theory, I think, is filling a void in the life of people who are desperately trying to know that their lives matter. And here's my theory beyond that. My theory within the theory is the last time where we can say in America where great social change happened, where our nation had a reckoning that made this world a better place, um, a lot of people will point back to what Martin Luther King Jr. did. And so what people are trying to do at the same time of castigating this, this man uh, <laughs> in the critical race theory school, but at the same time, people are just the simpleton, the regular average person says, well, he was able to create change because of um, civil rights issues. And I think that, I really honestly think that people in our present day are trying to find a civil rights issue in the present so that they can say that their lives matter, so that they can say that they live for something that was worthwhile, so that their life wasn't all for naught. God has written eternity in our hearts, and I think that that desire deep within us desires to make our lives mean something. And so I think we're recreating a civil rights crisis that doesn't even exist in our nation, not really. Sure, racism exists. There are racists, but it is not normal. It is aberrant and it is rare. Um, and, and, and I think that people are trying to recreate a civil rights crisis so that they can say that their life mattered, that they made their imprint in history. So I don't know what you think about that, but that's my kind of musing for why critical race theory, as crazy as it is, is even taking wings. And it's certainly true. We all need purpose and meaning in life. And I would point to anybody who, who doesn't have purpose and meaning in life. First of all, you need to come to realize one very important thing. We're all going to give an account of our lives yeah. before Jesus Christ one day. That's just a reality. And a lot of people are, are, are preparing very, very poorly for the only day in their lives that really counts that day when they give an account and meaning. God put us here on earth for a purpose and he wants us to fulfill and to, you know, do accomplish those things that, that he basically has allowed us. And he's put us in this country where we have these great opportunities. You know, one of the big victims of the critical race theory, a lot of people don't think about this, but one of the great victims of the critical race theory are black children who've never actually accomplished anything. And now they're basically being told you can't accomplish anything because this is systemic white racist America. And, you know, you could try all you want to, but there's that glass ceiling. You could never become president. You could never, you know, do anything great. You could never find the cure for cancer. That's baloney. That's baloney. God is the one who's given us these opportunities. And one day he will hold us accountable at the end of the day. When you really get down to it, there's it's like two different visions for America. There's the Christian type version, which is empowerment, empowerment of we the people. It was in a Christian milieu that we the people, uh, you know, declared our independence and have the the recognize that our rights come from the Creator. God given rights are non negotiables. But the other side 
is more of a power-driven side. It wants power for itself. It wants a permanent underclass, a permanent underclass who will always be reliant on the government. So they'll always vote for those in power. But that's a huge difference to me of vision between uh, those who seek power for power itself sake or those who want others to be empowered. But here's the bottom line. Jesus is going to call us all accountable. The reason we're having all these problems as we move away from Christianity is, you know, the founders set things up in a way that basically there would be a lot of self-government. John Adams put it this way. Our Constitution was made only for a, a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So ultimately, the real solution, Reed, what, what America really needs is to repent and to come to believe in, in Jesus Christ, to, to come back to God, to seriously have a come back to Jesus moment, uh, or in some cases, a come to Jesus moment and, and really turn back to him. There have been times of great revival in American history. God can do it again, and we pray that he would. Amen. Yeah, I couldn't think of a better place to just kind of drop the mic and say that's that's at the end of the day where this conversation had its greatest fulfillment is what you and what you just said uh, an america that turns its heart to its creator and then we'll understand what we were how we we're really made and who we are so i love that so um, I have so much more I'd love to talk with you about, but I got to let you go. So before I do so, I just want to make sure that everybody who really wants to understand the real history of America has the opportunity to go out and get your books. So what's the best way to follow kind of what you're presently doing and to go uh, purchase some of the books that you've made uh, written in the past? Sure. Uh, JerryNewcomb.com. JerryNewcomb.com. N-E-W-C-O-M-B-E. And uh, there's... You can see all my columns and radio shows and television segments. And there's a section on the books and you can order the books and so forth. And uh, one of the books that we hadn't mentioned, but it's one of my more recent books. It's called American Amnesia. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, published by Nordskog Publishers out of California. And the idea of it is that uh, as Americans, we've, we've forgotten God. That's why all these problems have come upon us and we need to remember him. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's a little bit of kind of what I was refer- alluding to there in, in that, that last question. Um, okay, uh, so I will put that down in the show notes so that people can make sure to access that and go and visit you and stay up uh, with the latest of what you're doing. But before you go, I just got to say thank you so much for your years of dedication to uh, a great man and D. James Kennedy and for the years of uh, work that you've done to just help people in and outside of the body of Christ uh, to write books that help us remember our history because it's so, so important to have a narrative for life and, and for who we are. So thank you so much for dedicating uh, your life to write over 30 books and to uh, to impact people's life uh, with the great work that you're doing. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Reed. Thank you for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I will hope to have you again on in the future to talk more and more and more uh, about some of the things that are, are going on in our world. But thanks so much for being with us today, and bye-bye, everybody. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. 
And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. IndieThinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself.